0: John 4, 1 through 43. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God in spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were and you have not entered into their labor, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: So we were not in worship last week, but we got to worship online after the fact, and uh, our readers are doing a great job reading long passages, so thank you for that. Uh, as we prepare to open God's word together, would you bow your heads with me, and let's ask him to bless our time this morning. Our God and our Father, we come to your word this morning with expectancy, with excitement, and we... Uh, Delight that your spirit would convict us of ways that we often thirst for acceptance, fulfillment, for the sins of the flesh that leave us isolated and lacking. We uh, want to see Jesus this morning as he is and not as we so often can make him out to be. We need living water, and this morning we want to see that in Jesus we pray that you would attend now with power of the word preached and awaken our attentions even as we cast aside our fears and our confusion. We know that you can do it. We pray that you will and we uh, praise you this morning for the opportunity to experience the satisfaction of joy in your word. We pray. Amen. As we open the word together this morning, uh, we are on a familiar passage in John 4. Um, The Woman at the Well is a a favorite story of mine. In fact, we were talking as a pastoral staff uh, about some of the stories in Scripture that show us uh, so distinctly who Christ is and His engagement with people and His dialogue. Um, That's why the long Scripture reading this morning is there's so many gems in what Jesus says to the woman, but also to His disciples afterwards. Um, And so thank you for uh, humoring us as we read long Scripture passages Uh, But this weekend, uh, I was thinking a lot about just the beauty of uh, Jesus's claims in this passage, and he's talking about thirsting and water, and so we got a chance to go to Silver Springs. We're new to the area, uh, so I don't know how many of you have been up to the springs recently, Uh, but it got me thinking about how my whole life I've been drinking uh, spring water, but I've never really gotten to experience a spring in all its uh, power and majesty up close, And so drinking out of a water bottle, right, which has a distinct flavor to it, is so different than if I were to go on the banks of the Silver River, grab a straw, and just go to town, right? If I was going to try and drink it dry, um, I've got a lot of work ahead of me, right? Because we're talking 500 million gallons a day or something like that. You want to fact check me? Yep. All right. Uh, And also, it's it's plural, right? So there's 30 springs, uh, according to some of the books that I've read. And it's just this awe-inducing experience to realize that you are standing on something that is so much more powerful than anything that you have ever really experienced. It's like standing at the Grand Canyon. And some of you maybe uh, have been a lot of times and it started to lose its awe, but for our family, going for the first time this weekend, it was was incredible. And to see people wandering around, speaking languages that we didn't really know, maybe Russian, German, um, that had come from so far away, experience the power and the majesty, that's what I see in the passage this morning, is that this woman goes to the well and she has no idea what is in store for her and who she has come uh, to encounter. And the beauty of this is is just the magnitude of who Jesus is, of how he uh, deals so graciously and gently with her. Um, and it shows us that Christ alone can satisfy the thirstings and the longings of our hearts. And so I want us to th- see those three things in the passage this morning, is that uh, thirst, our thirst can often lead us astray. Uh, it can drive us to living waters. And ultimately, it should lead us to longing for more of Jesus. Those are those three things that I want us to see. But I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you satisfy your thirst? Um, I'm taking count now how many people get up to go and use the restroom or drink because uh, we're talking about water. Uh, but hydration is so important, right? A lot of times we sit in uh, meetings or classes and we start to, you know, long for something. Oh man, if I just grab my water bottle before I left. Uh, advertising slogans over the years, obey your thirst, Stay thirsty, my friends, the thirst quencher, thirsty Thursdays, uh, and it's all driving at the fact that there are these longings uh, for which ultimately cannot be satisfied by even sometimes those products, right? The notion that we would reach for a soda and come away feeling hydrated um, or an alcoholic beverage uh, is, uh, it's a lie, right? We'll actually become more dehydrated. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the series that we just finished, says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He understands, he commiserates with his creation over uh, how much we are designed for longing and how those longings are holy longings. And they're designed to point us to our need of Jesus. And so, my question this morning is, What do you thirst for in your hour of need? Maybe you feel the sides of your throat starting to dry up and you wish you had brought water with you this morning. But those desires go so much further beyond our daily allowance and go from physical to spiritual need. If it is thirst that drives sailors in the oceans to to think that seawater could actually satisfy when they are lost at sea or hikers to contemplating what sort of liquid would replace water. Uh, if they could uh, hydrate themselves. And if we recognize our need for Jesus in our longing for waters this morning, I think that we would come away the better for it. Jesus points us to the reality that we are often perishing without him in an even deeper way than if we did not have water for days and days. And so this thirsting often drives us astray where uh, in verses 1 through 15, I point you to look in your scriptures this morning. Jesus is traveling around, and he's going from uh, the south to the north. So he was in Judea, and he's going north to Galilee, and he's traveling through this region of Samaria. And Samaria is, is almost like enemy territory. Uh, they were at odds with the Jews. And so the notion that he's traveling through this area, and he's going by himself, is shocking in and of itself, but then we come to the realization of where he actually is. He finds himself at Jacob's well. Uh, it's, now, it's near Mount Gerizim, and in Exodus, this is the place where when Moses and the people finally came out of the desert and into the promised land, they delighted to find out that God had provided for them even as they were grumbling, longing for food, longing for drink. God answers the longings of their heart, and they celebrate And here Jesus comes and sits down at a well, recognizing how thirsty and tired he is from traveling. And he encounters this woman uh, who, after two and a half days of traveling himself, sees him simply as just a weary traveler. They've crossed paths, um, and she has no idea what's in store. That uh, this man, this Jew who is on the road, would engage her in conversation was radical. We see at the end of the passage that his disciples are marveling at the fact that he had even struck up a conversation with her uh, because it would have been very normal for him just to overlook her and to go about getting his water first. Uh, She comes at the noon hour in the heat of the day uh, because she is trying to avoid anyone. She's feeling the weight of guilt. She's feeling the weight of shame of her reputation and Jesus engages her who is a moral and social outcast. Jesus dignifies her, and he reaches through those barriers uh, with the hope of who he is. The good news of Jesus Christ, and it transforms uh, that moment in time. That he would see a neighbor and would not see their skin color, their language, their rituals, their values, their ancestry, the history that divides them, but would see Uh, someone needing uh, love, needing uh, to be uh, honored in that conversation. And Jesus asks her a simple question. He sidesteps uh, into a conversation and he asks her for a drink. Uh, I don't know about you, but I do not have the gift of small talk, but I've met a lot of people over my life that can talk to a stranger like it's nothing, right? Do you all know these people? Right? They can meet somebody in line, and by the time they get done, they're just chatting it up. And Jesus takes this opportunity to ask her for a drink and open up uh, so much deeper things. And it accelerates rapidly, but Jesus sees her, he has compassion on her, and he takes a chance and says, can I have some water? And you can almost imagine what's going on in her mind at this point. You know, he spoke to me. Why is he speaking to me? Why can't I just be left alone? Why can't I just uh, grab my water and go? Um, but there's a moment in time where they both pause and they uh, have this conversation and it goes deep pretty quickly. Um, Jesus responds to her uh, after the drink and uh, she starts to talk about you know, the nature of who the Jews were. you know, The fact that she's a Samaritan You know, they uh, are as different and at odds uh, with one another throughout history. And yet, Jesus uh, goes on to say, uh, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is an outrageous claim. It's one that no advertising campaign could ever support. I will give you a drink and you will never be thirsty again. Come and test me and see that I can satisfy in ways uh, that you have never experienced. And it's in this claim that we see uh, this restoration of the relationship uh, between uh, the Israelites and God. God. The ones who had grumbled all the way through the wilderness. If you want to go back and read it, it's in Exodus 17. They had grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said, Did you lead us out of slavery only to die here in the desert? Would that we had stayed in shackles and irons back there they did not hope, they did not trust that there was something greater that God had for them, and he would lead them through suffering in such a way that would uh, give them abundantly more than they could ever have imagined before. And Jesus, even as he talks about living water, is uh, referencing Old Testament prophets. Uh, Isaiah 41 says, The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there's none. Their tongue is parched with thirst, and I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open up rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains. God had promised long ago that his people uh, might experience thirst, they might experience hunger, but ultimately he would provide everything that they needed They had only to trust and obey and to follow and lean into that uh, suffering in those times, recognizing that their thirst was a holy longing for something even greater. I read a book this week about a couple of men that got uh, their car broke down in the desert. And so they nearly died during the three weeks that they were waiting. Their bodies were dehydrated. They began to long for and see mirages in the distance. Uh, They would drink almost anything in hopes of quenching their thirst. And uh, the sun forced them to shade under their truck. They dug a trench, and they had food, but they couldn't eat because it would make their thirst even worse. That's how bad it got. Dehydration, not starvation, kills most wanderers in the desert. They think that they can eat more than they actually can, and it causes so much bigger problems. Uh, They would progress from uh, thirst to ordinary thirst to bouts of extreme thirst. And at the end of their time, they were starting to, uh, to drink rusty radiator water because it was the only thing that would satisfy their thirst for a moment. In order to survive, they were willing to drink poison that would, in some ways, cause problems later on. And they were rescued, but ultimately, this physical experience of thirst is a, is a reality of our spiritual thirst, isn't it? A lot of times when we don't have living water in our lives, we start to look around at all these other things that we think will satisfy. We see it in the psalmists as they begin to point at people who seemingly are prospering, even though they are evil. We start to wonder, oh, you know, if I just had that relationship or, you know, if I just had that job, that would truly satisfy the longings of my heart. Our thirst leads us astray. How are you longing for poison instead of water this morning? Where does our mind wander when we feel the quiet, when we're left to our own thoughts? One of the things that has surprised me since I got here is, Uh, Sometimes in our home, it's very loud. This might be shocking to you. Uh, But our staff uh, has been tasked with one day a month to go and spend time in quiet and solitude before the Lord. And it is one of the most difficult things that I have had to do recently in my life. To be silent for an entire day before the Lord um, and to be left alone with my thoughts. And I think it's because of the noise It's because of the things that tend to fill up the spaces in our lives, and we forget about that holy longing for Jesus. And it's gotten easier and easier each time I do it to spend time in the Word and to drink from the well that never runs dry. To have those longings satisfied by Jesus And Jesus wants to surprise us in the same way that he encounters the woman at the well. He surprises her um, in her isolation, in her guilt, and her shame, and he invites her into something better, something that is so much greater than she can even wrap her mind around. And in her isolation, in her guilt, in her shame, she uh, would never have dreamed that there would be a man at the well waiting for her that would finally see her in a way that no other man seemingly in her life had ever seen her before. That when she was exposed and vulnerable, Jesus would pursue her to the point of shaming himself seemingly, where his disciples are going, Whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? People of God, we must recognize that our hunger and our thirst are part of God's design for our dependence on him that we would run to the living water, that we would not believe the lie from the pit of hell that God brought us this far in our lives just to abandon us, just that we would die of starvation or thirst in the desert on the way to the promised land. But the reality is that so many people lose hope when that cancer diagnosis comes or when they lose a loved one or when their career tanks and they have to rebuild everything. But God who is rich in mercy and abundant love, will meet us in those places. As he met the woman at the well. One philosopher wrote that to live is to suffer, but to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. And I would say even abundantly more than that, it's not just surviving, we can flourish. Even as we look for God's hand in the midst of the suffering in our lives. To know that Jesus is nearer than we realize and he will not abandon, he will not reject us that if we are walking the road of isolation and suffering this morning, that Jesus sees you, and he's calling to you, and he's inviting you to step into a relationship with him. Because in the words of St. Augustine, God had one son on earth without sin, but he never had a son on earth without suffering. That Jesus is the suffering servant who understands the longings of our hearts and longs to walk beside us through the hardest places. That we would be able to utter the words of a traveler who is weary, who has walked the road alone, and see that God's word tells us to taste and see that he is good. That is where we can allow our thirsting to lead us to those places. The second thing I want us to see is that thirsting ultimately leads us to a place where we recognize that we need satisfaction and living water. Living water. Living water. Jesus uh, invites this woman with a question. First he says, can I have a drink of water? And then he says, go and call your husband. He knows the answer before he asks the question. As a father, I've done this so many times with my kids. I ask them questions and I know exactly what the answer is before I ask it. Because I want to know, are they willing to offer the truth? Are they willing to, to connect with me in a relationship and he says, "Woman, go and call your husband and come here." And she responds, "I have no husband." He says, "You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true." You can imagine the weight of the conversation, the heaviness, the the revelation of uh, I I have struggled. That my reputation is something that hangs over me every day, and I feel labeled by my sin, by my struggle. And as I read this story this week, it was hard not to, to feel that moment, right? We all have sin in our lives that we wrestle with every day, that rears its head, and we feel like we are being labeled by the things and the ways that we struggle. And Jesus assures her, believe me that the hour is coming. The hour is coming when everything's gonna change. Throughout the gospel of John, Jesus sets his face to the cross. He begins to uh, move in such a way that uh, the, the death, his death and resurrection is gonna rewrite the entire timeline of redemption. And he reassures her, change is coming. Transformation is coming. And that's the good news of the gospel is that it's not about what you've done. It's about who, where your faith is. And this woman comes uh, with a a genuine longing, a genuine seeking and asking and knocking. And her heart is in a place where she uh, longs for these things to be true, that she would know living water and that she would know what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Rather than publicly rebuking her, Jesus uh, sees her and invites her to see that change is possible. That the God of the universe would see her hiding in plain sight and say, come and walk with me. It's hard not to think about Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve have sinned, what does God do? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he says, where are you? Jesus sitting at the well with this woman is doing the exact same thing. Where are you? Why are you hiding? I see you and I still want to have a relationship with you. She's afraid, she's exposed, but she dares to hope that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is living water, that he can transform her life in a way that no other man has been able to because he is fully God. And that this hour that is coming is going to change everything for her. See, he uses this phrase that we would worship in spirit and in truth And there is uh, this tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. Where should we go to worship God? Is it the temple uh, in Jerusalem or is it the temple in Samaria? And she tries to get off on a political kind of rabbit trail. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's about relationship. See, that's not going to matter soon. Because the true sacrifice, Jesus was going to lay down his life. And the temple location was going to be the last thing on anyone's mind. It doesn't matter because I love you and I want to know you. Let's not talk politics right now. Let's focus on where your heart is. Let's focus on uh, where your faith is. See, oftentimes we can sacrifice one for the other when we're worshiping, right? We can either focus on emotionalism, or we can make sure that our theology is really good, that the words are really, really solid and tight. And Jesus is saying, they both matter. I want your heart, and I want you to know exactly who I am. I want you to know that my love for you goes beyond uh, societal norms and boundaries that the world likes to set in, that we would have both heart and mind engaged in the worship of who God is, and so that we would thirst for living waters that can satisfy us. And that's the third thing that we see in verses 26 through 45, Uh, That uh, this thirsting would lead us to a place of longing for more of Jesus. That uh, even as this woman is wrestling with so much information that Jesus is sharing, right? This huge revelation of who he is, of what's coming, of where her hope should truly be founded. Jesus' disciples come back. And Jesus in verse 26 says, I who speak to you am he. There are a lot of people that would claim that Jesus never actually said that he was the savior of the world. He was just a good teacher. He was a good moral rabbi. But in verse 26, Jesus uh, declares that he is the Messiah. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And as Jesus declares this and his disciples return, they start to reflect on Uh, all that has to be done. They share a meal together. That's what I love about the whole of this passage is it talks about thirst, and then it talks about hunger. And the delightful thing this morning is we get to talk about hunger and thirst, and then we get to come to the table. And even as Jesus talks about this uh, reconciliation that comes through living water, uh, that the Father is seeking those who would worship in spirit and in truth. And the, the disciples are coming to him and, uh, you know, they're talking about the harvest and about how there's abundance. And Jesus tells them, I have sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. As I was reading this passage, uh, my family and I moved here to plant a church. And part of coming here to plant a church is recognizing that for 10 years, there have been people in the place in this church that have been sharing the gospel and that the harvest is plentiful and we had nothing to do with it. That we get to come and delight in who Jesus is and to watch as God gathers his people together, not because of any effort of one individual person, but because of uh, the testimony of what uh, Jesus has done in the lives of his people in this place. And uh, the Samaritans in this town are starting to go crazy because this woman is sharing her story and she's saying, he sees me, he knows me, he knows more than he should. And he loved me enough to speak truth into my life. And that we as followers of Jesus would cry out uh, in our sufferings and our longings and also that we would point others to what Jesus has done in our lives. And that means sharing some of the, the hard sin in areas that we don't wanna share. Um, and and showing that we are weak, but Jesus is strong in those places, whether it's sexual sin, pornography, whether it's uh, finances, uh, whether it is relationships that are broken that need to be healed, that we would point to those broken places and say, but God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who has living water and life abundantly for us, but for the grace of God, uh, I would not be saved today. And that we would delight in him and we would declare his praises uh, to all peoples. And so this woman goes around throughout the countryside and many believed because of who Jesus was, because of how he cared for, what he did, um, and more believed because of his word, because of how he taught them and how he loved them. And that is, and that they declared indeed, he is the savior of the world. I was reading a a biography this week of uh, Eric Little, Um, and he was one of the Olympic runners uh, that won a medal in Paris. Um, And a a lot of times, chariots of fire is brought up, but we don't actually talk about the end of his life. Um, And the end of his life was remarkable. He went back to China as a missionary, um, and he spent uh, almost a decade in an internment camp where he was imprisoned for his faith. Um, And there was a man who was imprisoned with him uh, by the name of Langdon Gilkey, um, and he was not uh, a Christian, uh, believed that, you know, if you could be a really good person and not know Jesus, and that is true. But he was exposed to uh, Eric's testimony among the prisoners who were there. Uh, Eric would spend his afternoons with the teenagers in the camp who were particularly troublesome. Uh, he would schedule bingo nights. He'd make them dinner. They would work on uh, model boats, And the whole time, Langdon would just marvel um, at the patience of Eric Little and his testimony. And the sad thing is that Eric Little never got to experience liberation uh, from that internment camp. He died of a brain tumor while he was in prison. Um, But uh, Langdon Gilkey wrote this in his memoirs and eventually came to faith in Christ because of the testimony of Eric Little. And he said, "You you don't need religion to build a good life. Lots of missionaries and priests were in China at the time. Survival often prompts people to be mean and nasty, radically self-centered. People are sinful, not what I thought they would be. Uh, But Eric Little was different. He was overflowing with good humor, constantly striving to pour himself out for all the teenagers. We would scarcely have survived if not for him. Religion is not the place where the problem of man's egotism is automatically solved. Rather, it's the place where human pride and God's grace come face to face. Human pride may win that battle. It is then that religion can and does become an instrument of human sin. But if there is a confrontation of the self with God's grace, and we surrender to something beyond our self-concern, it is then that the Christian faith may become the very thing that the human race needs when freed from our self-concern. Grace, the grace of God. He came face to face with his own self-concern while in prison, and there Eric Little gave up his life. And that's the beauty of this passage, is that Jesus, with the woman at the well, is setting his face to the cross and saying, I have living water. I can satisfy the longings of your heart because I know you, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you, and I want to walk through the hard things in your life. And that's the invitation for us this morning, is that we would know that in Jesus, that he would pursue us across uh, barriers that seem too great now, that he would pursue us through difficult situations, oftentimes that we wish we didn't have to go through, Conversations that we wish we didn't have to have, that we're avoiding. And He wants to sanctify us and make us more like Himself in the fire that we would be refined. And so, as we close this morning, that's my question for you. What are you thirsting for in your life? Is it more busyness? Is it the hard things of this life that oftentimes we think will satisfy, but ultimately cannot? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him to the point where you have come face to face with your own sin and brokenness? And he has invited you to repent and believe the gospel, to turn away from your sin, no matter what that is, and to turn towards him and to have a relationship that transforms your life, transforms the way that we do relationships and invites us and draws us out of the brokenness that exists in our homes, in our workplaces, to follow after him who can give us living waters. I want to close uh, with the words of Psalm 63. I invite you to turn with me if you have it. David's on the run. He's on the ropes. And he can put things in such a beautiful light as he writes, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Living waters, they satisfy us to the point where we can praise Jesus's name among the nations and so that we can make him known. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray and prepare our hearts to come to the table? God, may we experience this morning a holy longing, a longing that can only be satisfied in you. Would you make our hearts restless? Would you help us to see the beauty of who you are, Jesus, as you uh, give us dignity in the midst of our deepest struggles, that you would love us even when we were once far off, that we would recognize that uh, neither depth nor height nor anything else in all of creation could separate us from your love, that we would desire who you are, even in the hard places and the hard uh, rebukes that you offer to us, that you would help us to know the joy and hope and light of living in your kingdom under your rule and your reign. Would you give us your uh, face and your blessing this morning? We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.